Hey, this is Pastor Ali, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Who's excited for church? Uh, my name is Ali. My wife and I, we started this church five years ago with a simple dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could come and grow in their faith, but listen, unchurched people could come, come explore their faith. So if this is your first time at church, believe me, you are VIP here. Uh, and we are in a collection. Of, oh, before I begin, let me give you some announcements. Next Saturday, we are doing what's called Door Hanger Day. We are coming at 10 a.m., why? Because we're going to hang a thousand door hangers around the houses and homes around this community. Why? Because everybody needs Jesus. Come on. And the following Friday is Good Friday, 7 p.m. We're having our very first Good Friday service. We've been around for five years. We have been portable for five years. We used to roll up with two trailers, 25 foot long, show up at 7 a.m. Now we show up whenever we want. And so we can do anything we want. We're having service on Friday. Come on. And on Easter, we're going from one to two services. The question I got to ask you is, who are you inviting? Yeah. That's why we're doing two services. Not so we can sing twice. <laughs> Not so I can preach the same sermon twice. So you can sit next to your friend and bring him and then serve the other one. And this is one of those churches, man, I'm telling you, you I will not let you sit and do nothing. Yeah. I'll get in your face. That's okay. I love you anyways. But we are in a collection of talks called The Best Way to Die. It's heavy. It's got to be real. And I'm grateful that I got a church that allows me to go places that normally we don't go. Everyone in this room is going to experience death. Either someone in your family is going to die or they have died. And I think church should be the place where we talk about things where no one else wants to talk about these things, right? Our culture right now does not have language for death. Instead of calling it a funeral, we call it a celebration of life. Because they don't know what to do with death anymore. And uh, week one of this collection of talks, I talked about how instead of being afraid of dying, worse than that is not living. Because what we call death, heaven calls birth. And then last week, Pastor Layla crushed it. Anybody love Pastor Layla's message? She's so good. She talked about instead of fearing death, fear God. And today I try to tell you, it's a tearjerker, okay? If you can wipe your eyes, you can thank me later. Genesis chapter 25, when you see it on the screen, someone say amen. Wow, prophesying. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age. An old man full of years. Someone say full of years. And he was gathered to his people. And you need to know this. For any of those that are new to Christianity, you're starting to read the Bible. How do you understand the scriptures? Sometimes you got to understand the guys who wrote the Bible, the, the authors of the scriptures, they knew they couldn't include every detail. They couldn't tell you their vocation, how long they went to school, what their favorite hobby was. So they only could include specific details that were all intentional. Anytime we describe someone's physical features or personality, those are there with massive intention. And the scriptures are trying to tell you that Abraham lived 175 years. And it's so important that you see this because Abraham was 75 years old when he meets God. This, that's huge. Anybody... That's 75 and you get an ARP card and you're just meeting Jesus for the first time. Well, you, you still got life, trust me. But that he, he, he walked with God for 100 years. 
And there's two observations. This has nothing to do with the sermon. I just felt like very compelled to tell you this morning. Number one, your best days are ahead of you. There's some 75-year-old person in this room like, oh my gosh, when I was young, God wanted to use me. No, 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 no. God didn't use Abraham until he was 75. And then he walked with God for 100 years. At the same time, there's a 20-year-old in this room that you just broke up with your girlfriend. You're like, oh my gosh, my life is over. No, it is not. The best days of your life are still ahead of you. Number two, it's easy to start. It's hard to finish. Anyone can run a marathon, but will you finish? It's March are you still going to the gym? If you want to sign up, I'm telling you, it's empty right now. Because it's easy to start something. It's hard to finish. That's what Abraham's life shows us. He didn't start very well, but he finished well. That's the goal of life. Now can we get into the message? Sorry, I just got to preach before I preach. I want to focus on that verse. Can we go back to the verse? It says, Abraham, full of years. Someone say full of years. You got to understand the... the, the Sometimes the Hebrew language is very verbose, and it's often difficult to translate. That's why there are so many different translations, NIV, NLT, ESV, OPP. There's all these different translations, and sometimes the scriptures, they, they're, they're trying to communicate as best they can what the author's intention was, and that word full does not mean the word full of years. Actually, the, the translator added the word years. What it's actually saying is that Abraham literally died full. Some will say full. full. It's the same language that you would use after a Thanksgiving dinner. Full. I don't know about you, but in my family, we're not only American, we're Persian Americans. So we got the turkey and we got the Persian food. We got the gravy and we got the yogurt. And before you judge me, you got the adobo on Thanksgiving, so don't, don't, don't hate, okay? And every Thanksgiving, now that we have little kids running around, dessert is the main attraction. And every year we're trying to like outdo one another. And this last year, I'm telling you, they bake the pie. Then it's steaming hot. They're pulling it out and they're putting ice cold vanilla bean ice cream on top of this pie. And I'm literally so full. I'm about to puke. And I'm like, I literally, as much as I want this, I literally can't eat another bite. That's what the Bible's trying to tell you. Abraham was so full, he couldn't eat another bite of life. It's as if God's saying, Abraham, here's another day. And Abraham's like, man, that's my favorite. And I want to eat it, but I'm so full, I don't even want another day of life. That's what I want for you this morning. That you're so full of life. You've experienced everything that God has for you. Even if he offered you another day, you'd say, God, I love you and I want another slice but I'm good. I don't even want another date night. I don't even want another you-know-what night. I don't know why any man would ever turn that down, but I don't want another vacation. I don't want another video game. Boys, I'm so full of life, God, that I don't want another night. You got to understand, it's some of you may say, well, Pastor Ali, he lived 175 years, but it's not the quality that God's trying to it's not the length of his life. They, they, the authors added, the translators added, full of years. And I'm trying to get this in your spirit. I wrote down like this. It's not, what if a full life is not determined by the quantity, but the quality of them? See, Jesus only lived 33 years old, and he lived the fullest life that anyone ever lived. Which is why the title of my message, listen, the, the whole heart of this collection of talks was when I was in my father's hospital room when he said goodbye. 
And he was not ready to go. He was hungry for more. And it just deeply convicted me. How do I live a life? The title of my message is this, dying full. Dying full. Look, coming for you today in a good way because you need to be challenged. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's, let's pray for a moment. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our faith community. God, we are so attracted to things. We're so enthralled by things, the, the games and, 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 and pleasure and Teslas and RSUs and stocks and all these things are good, Lord, but may we not lose light of eternity, God. That when we're in our hospital bed or if we're in, our, in a hospice, God, no one asks for, for them to bring in their Pokemon. No one says, bring in my gym equipment. God, we ask for our loved ones. God, teach us how to live a life that's full like Abraham. May we walk in one way, Jesus, and walk out another. We want to look more like you, talk more like you, Jesus, love more like you. We want to live our life like you, Jesus. And if you believe that, everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. Can we give it up for Jesus real quick? Come on. If you want to die full, we've got we to gotta emulate Abraham's life. Let me read this verse again. Genesis 25, verse 7. These are the days of the years. Someone say days of the years. Of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. An old man full of years. And he was gathered to his people. Why is it saying days of the years? Why is it saying that? Isn't that weird? We all know that there are days in a year. 365 to be exact. But why is it using this language? What is the Bible trying to teach us? We already know that there are days in years. It's not trying to give you information. It's trying to teach you something about the Abraham's life revelation. The reason Abraham died full, because he had meaningful days. He had days that were fulfilling for him. I wrote it down like this. The, the age, a person's age is measured in years, but a person's life is measured in days. We call those things core memories, by the way. That's the language of our culture. Oh my gosh, that was one of my favorite days. And we say, oh, that was a core memory. I remember one of the things my wife and I do often is we'll, we'll pull up our iPhone and we have a screen sharing with our Apple, Apple TV. And we'll, Apple, I love Apple. If you have an Android device, it's time to repent. It's been 15 years. I don't know what you're doing. You're the most stubborn people in America. But the Apple will literally categorize your photos for you. And so my daughters will be like, let's go. And it will show us like, oh, this is when we went to Tahoe. And this is when we went to Italy. And, this is, and I'm like, dude, my kids are six and they've been everywhere. It took me so long to save up to go to Hawaii. I was like 27 the first time I left. And like these little rugrats have been, they don't even know how good life is. Talk about it, yes. And if you want to die full, listen, you have to see every day. Because my little kids don't realize how good they have it. You have to see every day, number one, as meaningful. Someone say meaningful. Meaningful. I got to show this to you the best way that I can. It's Illustration Sunday. Come on. Talk about it. This is your life. Let me move it into the, 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 the light a little bit. I don't want you to miss it. But this is your life. It's blank. And often things happen to us, but we get to often fill them in. And we have Monday, Tuesday, all the, throughout the week. And what I got to show you, what, what, the, what day is it today? Sunday. Just making sure we're on the same page. Just making sure. You never know. Every day of your life that you live, the accumulation of your days is living. 
but only you only get life one day at a time. Which means today is the day that you live. The choices you have today, the opportunities you have today, the decisions you have today, today is the only day that you're actually living. Because yesterday, yesterday, Saturday is history. It's already gone. Tomorrow is not promised. That's the future. Today is the only day that you're alive. If you've ever been in the room when someone is about to pass from this life to the next, their biggest regret is not the stupid things they did, but the things they wish they did. But the other problem is the the lack of seeing every day as meaningful. So what I want to do is I want to illustrate to you. Imagine for a moment you you have a day in your life that you just remember. Let's say, for example, it's Monday, and I'm going to put a big M for meaningful. That's the day you got married. That's the day you got pregnant. That's the day you got you bought the house. And if you buy a house in Silicon Valley, you are blessed. Let me tell you, because <laughs> you need to you need to find a leprechaun with money to buy a house here. I remember the day I graduated, like it was yesterday, college. I remember the day they handed me the diploma and they hit, the day they handed me their uh, brain fart. I'm sorry. The day they handed me my diploma and the day they handed me my student loans, right? You just remember. It's, it's meaningful. It's one of those days where it's like, oh, my gosh, I'll never forget that day. Maybe for some of you it's Thursday. Maybe that day is meaningful because it's the day that you got married. Maybe it's the day you got the promotion. Maybe it's the day you come home and, and, and your family surprised you on your birthday and you didn't expect it. Pastor Ali, who gets married on Thursday? People on a budget, okay? <laughs> People on a budget. Don't judge. People on a budget. But, but what's sad about life is that we have seven days and we only see two as meaningful. And there's way more than that. And that's the problem. That's why we don't die full. We only see two days as meaningful. But often there are other categories that we have. Let's say on Wednesday is the day, Tuesday, sorry, I put W for waste. Let's say this is the day that your, your spouse left you. This is the day that your, your uncle died. This is the day that you lost your job. It's the day that you remember not for the good things, but for the bad things. It's the day that scarred you. It, it pains you. It, it's the day you wish you don't have to remember. It's the day you wish you could rip out of your book of life and crumple it up and throw it away because it's so painful. It marked you. It's not the only time that we've experienced that, though. Sometimes, sometimes that happens on other days of the week. It's the day that, that forever changes us. That's why we come to church sometimes, because of those days. But if you look at the calendar, I'll put another W. Because sometimes we, a lot of us in this room, have experienced a lot of pain. Maybe a, a dad died when we were little. Maybe, maybe... Someone touched us when, when they shouldn't have. And it's the days that we, we remember those days more than these days sometimes. But then there's other days. It's a different category. I, I put N for nothing. What'd you do? I don't remember. <laughs> Why'd you go to church? How'd you change? I don't know. And that's, that's the attitude that some of you have. You, you heard Pastor Yasmin and Ali say, oh my gosh, God wants, to, he wants you to find, know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And you went to groups. And you told me, Pastor Ali, that when I walk in on Sunday, it's like a movie theater. No one knows my name. But when I walk into small groups, everyone knows my name. Like, Norm and cheers. They go, Norm. <laughs> and I walked in the group, and no one said my name. <laughs> and I went, and nothing happened. I got this hole in my heart. So I tried to fill it with other things. 
I did other things. I went out on Friday, on Saturday, and, you know, I got that hole in my heart. I tried to fill it with dancing and with drugs and maybe with people, and all those days looked the same. I know my bank account says I did something, but I don't remember what I did. And it's a nothing day. You don't even remember it. And then we feel guilty. Then we come to church, and we hear the message, and as soon as we leave the parking lot, nothing has changed. And if that's how you view life, I want to give you a paradigm shift. What I want to do is I want to talk about Jesus for a moment. The last week of his life is called Holy Week. It's called Passion Week. It's, it's actually next Sunday is what's called Palm Sunday. And when Jesus walk, comes into Jerusalem, he comes in on the back of a donkey. And everyone in the city, they get palm trees and they begin to worship Jesus. They take off their coats, they throw it on the ground. And the whole city is worshiping Jesus. It's, it's what's called the Passion Week. But let's, let's evaluate Jesus' week. On Sunday, the whole city's loving him. But what about these other days? Let's, let's talk about Thursday. Thursday for Jesus is a very, very meaningful day. It's the longest day that's recorded in Scripture of the Passion Week. The day begins in the morning with him hanging out with the disciples. He washes their feet. Oh, my goodness. The king of the universe takes off his robe, gets down on his knees, and washes people's feet. Modeling leadership is not about a title. It's about a towel. And if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. And Jesus has his, what we call the Last Supper. I call it his last throwdown Thursday with tacos with his friends. <laughs> Hanging out. It's the, it's, the, it's the longest day recorded in the week of Passion. Another meaningful day is Sunday. Come on, the tomb is empty and there is news to tell. The whole, if, if Jesus didn't resurrect, let's go, literally the Bible says, let's go drink and be merry. Why are we here doing karaoke for an hour? But what else did Jesus experience that week? And you're going to realize it's very similar to your life. Any Bible theologians know what happened on Monday. It's okay. That's why you're at church. Jesus comes in on ch to, to, to church on Monday and begins to flip tables. He begins to whip people and drive them out of the church. And all the fanfare that he had on Sunday, he lost all of the momentum that he had on Monday. Monday is literally a waste. Because he's, he's yelling at people. He's I, Listen, I know some of you want Jesus to be your pastor, but I will never whip you, okay? <laughs> and all the momentum that he had, he lost you know what happened on Tuesday? No one got saved. No one got healed. Literally no one encounters the presence of God. Why? Because on Tuesday, Jesus is arguing with the disciples. Not the disciples, the Pharisees all day long. And it feels like a total waste. You ever shared your faith with someone? You pray for them. You want to invite them to church. And you spend an hour over lunch sharing everything. And at the very end, they go, Psh, I don't want that. And it feels like a, what? a total waste. Anybody know what happened on Wednesday? Want to declare it? Nothing. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened on Wednesday. The Bible is totally silent. The theologians, historians, no one knows what happened on Wednesday. Friday. Imagine from the perspective of the disciples. You just spent three years following Jesus. You left your decree. You left your business. You left your family. Not for three weeks. For three years. Imagine Following Jesus for three years, you think he's the Messiah, and then he dies. Messiahs don't die. 
What a waste. What a waste. And Christians, we, we call Friday Good Friday. Easter Sunday, we call it Resurrection Sunday. But the language that we use for Saturday is called Silent Saturday. Because Jesus, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, they say nothing. And there's literally nothing that's recorded about what God is saying or doing. And when you look at this, it looks so similar to ours. But the problem that we often have is that we view life one day at a time. And we see the waste and we remember the waste, but we don't see the waste in the grand scheme of things. What you got to do is you got to look at from back here. From God's perspective. And he sees that pain point in your life as the mark point, the inflection point. That, although that was painful, God brought it for good. Yeah. Although that, that, that moment in your life when, you're, when, you're, when your mom died when you were young was the moment that you realized you needed God more than anybody else. And what you see as waste, God sees as meaningful because he flipped it around and used it for your good. And we got to view our life, try to do this the best way I can, through the lens of Scripture. And Jesus, if he lived a, a real fulfilling life, we know this is not the waste and the nothing. Jesus, God the Father, flipped it around and used it for good. How do I know this? Read this verse with me. This is, this is on Monday. This is right after Palm Sunday. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. Him being Jesus. Why? Because he had just flipped tables. He had just whipped them. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Imagine the Pharisees like, man, this crazy Jesus who thinks he's God flipped tables, kicked people out. No one's going to listen to him again. And the crowds were amazed at his teaching. On Monday, the assassination plot began. That's when they decided, we're going to kill this guy. And we think, oh my gosh, what a waste. But if Monday didn't happen, then Friday wouldn't have happened. They, they executed their plan in four days. And if Friday didn't happen, resurrection wouldn't have happened. You can't resurrect unless you're dead. You can't come back to life unless you die. The reason Friday happened, it was be, the reason Sunday is so awesome, is because God brought purpose in this day. It is meaningful. And if Friday wouldn't have happened unless the, what we consider waste happening on Monday. There is meaning in it. There is meaning in the days that we have waste. I wrote down like this. Write this down. It's going to help some of you. The days that you think are a waste in your life, wait till God turns them around and gives them meaning. Wait till God gives them meaning. You, you complain about the worst day of your life. When you give your life to God, he'll make it the best day in your life. You want to know why I became a pastor? Because when I was 24 years old, I came home from work one day to an empty house. At the time, I'd been married for nine months. I did not realize that my, my previous spouse was cheating on me, and that moment was the most difficult, the most painful, and the hardest day of my life. From the age of 24 to 31, I waited for that person to return and did not date anyone until she remarried. I look back, and I'm a pastor today because of the most painful moment in my life. When you give God your wasted days, he makes them meaningful. Let's keep going. What about what about Tuesday? He's at church arguing. No one gets saved. No one gets transformed. Look what it says in the scriptures. Luke chapter 20. Jesus looked directly at them, these being the Pharisees that just want to argue all day, just talk about theology all day. They don't want to love people. They just want to read books. What, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stones 
the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is talking to them, saying, dude, I came for you. I came to die for you, but you don't even want me. And because the Jews don't want me, I'm going to the Gentiles. Any non-Jews in the building, <laughs> you're welcome. We can take a bunch of Pharisees that rejected Jesus. And that was the plan all along. But that's the meaningfulness of Tuesday. That unless Jesus was rejected by the Pharisees, what we see as a waste actually had meaning for the whole world. What about Wednesday? Pastor Ali, there's nothing written about Wednesday. You're right. But when you see what happened the next day, you realize there is meaning on Wednesday. Because Wednesday is the last day that Jesus actually slept. He did not sleep on Thursday night. He actually had the most stressful, the hardest day of his life on Thursday. Why? Because he stayed up all night praying. And he was praying so hard, he was uh, sweating drops of blood. Doctors say that the only way that's happened, the only way that you can sweat blood without actually breaking your skin is to have extreme anxiety, extreme stress. So Jesus knew. He knew Thursday would be the hardest day of his life. He knew he would be betrayed. He knew he, he needed to be alone. Maybe he was preparing to die for us by himself. And what we see is nothing. God said, no, there's meaning there. He needed Wednesday to do Thursday. To, what about Friday? Oh, I'm sorry, Saturday. Silent Saturday, as we call it. The scriptures don't record God the Father saying anything, the prophets saying anything. Literally, God is silent on Saturday. But I read this verse to you last week. It's Revelations chapter 1. It says, Jesus is saying, and he's speaking to John, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I was living, I was dead, and now I'm alive. And now I hold the keys of death and Hades. What did Jesus do on Saturday? He went to the doors of hell and said, excuse me, those keys are mine now. And what you thought God was doing nothing, homie, he was, he was purchasing your redemption. What I'm trying to show you is that every moment in your life that you think is waste, the day that you were divorced, it's meaningful. The day that you re realize nothing happened, the day that are nothing, that you think nothing's happening, you're in a dead-end job under a dead-end boss, God is using that to form your character. He's preparing you for the next thing. The day that you think, oh my gosh, that uncle died is the day that you realize you needed Jesus more than you ever needed before. He brought meaning out of it. And the nothing on Saturdays, when you drank your problems away, God was pulling you close to him. You're in this room, not because of drugs and alcohol, because of Jesus. And every pain, every waste that you see in your life, when you give it to Jesus, he brings meaning. I wrote down like this, make every day a masterpiece. That's how you bring, that's how you die full. Abraham had so much life, he's like, I don't even want another day. That doesn't mean Abraham lived a sinless, perfect life. Didn't mean he didn't make mistakes, but he gave every day after the age of 75 to God, and God redeemed all of it. Give it all to God. Give it all to God. I wrote it down like this. This will maybe help some of you. The only days that are wasted are the days you don't learn from, build on, or appreciate. If you see waste, that's what will happen. But when you quote Romans 8, 28, and my God can work all things, someone say all things, for the good of those that love him. He can take the waste and make it beautiful. He can take the brokenness. He can bring flowers out of a grave. Come on. He, our God is amazing. Amen? If you want to die full, see every day, as meaningful. Number two, show the people you love 
you're grateful. Someone say you're grateful. This is uh, continuing the story of Abraham. This is Genesis 25, verse 9. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him. Now Abraham has passed away in, a, in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre. Someone say Mamre. And now everyone's like, well, I don't know how to say that. In the field of Ephron, son of Zohar, the Hittite. The field of Abraham, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. You need to see the spiritual significance of Mamre, or Mamre, however you say it. This is not the first time Abraham is experiencing Mamre. Mamre is a place of promise, and it's a place of gratitude. It's a place of promise and a place of gratitude. The first time God meets Abraham in Mamre, God shows him this, all this land, I'm going to give you one day, Abraham. And it becomes the promised land. And when Abraham hears the promise, he gets on the ground and he builds an altar to God. Because he hears the promise and responds in gratitude. Abraham is 99 years old. God comes to him a second time. Jesus in the flesh comes. A, a Christophany. Before he's in the person of Jesus, he enters human history. And he meets Abraham with two angels. He says, Abraham, I know you're 99 years old. I know you think you have a son named Ishmael, but that's not the son of promise. You and Sarah are going to have a kid. Abraham's like, I already have a kid. He's like, no, 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 that's not the one. I'm going to give you a son through your wife. And Abraham hears the promise. And he makes a meal out of gratitude. There's probably apple pie and ice cream. I don't know. I heard it was a good meal. And the third time, Abraham's in Mamre, is when Sarah dies. He buys this land, and he buries Sarah there. This wife that he had loved his whole life. And he gave her back to God in better shape than God gave him to her. There's a promise there, though. The first time, it was a promise of land. The second time, it was a promise of a son. And you have to see it. Abraham is saying, before the notebook, before Noah and Ali, he's making a promise, I'm going to be with you one day again, Sarah. You're going in this grave, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be with you again. My question for you is, if you want to die full, do the people in your life know how grateful you are for them? Because when you read from Genesis 12 to Genesis chapter 30, Abraham loves his wife. And he's grateful for her. He was not just grateful for her in her death. When's the last time you told a loved one, a mom, your spouse, maybe a brother, that you love them? One of these days I'm going to write a sermon called Famous Last Words. I'm going to quote celebrities. And let me give you some famous last words. This is Bob Marley. His last words were, money can't buy life. Whitney Houston's last words right before she passed away was, Jesus loves me. This one's scary. Steve Jobs, who created the phone that 99% of us in this room have. We're praying for the 1%. He said, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Jesus' last words on the cross were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. One of my mentors, though, is a guy named Billy Graham. Never met him, read and watched many, many videos of him. I was so impacted by him when I first became a pastor at the age of 27. I was youth pastoring, and 
I remember reading that whenever he would go anywhere, he would never be alone with a woman that was not his wife. I'm like, bro, that's so weird. What? And he would talk about how he would be in an elevator in a public building and a woman would walk in and he would walk out. And the reason why was because so many of his friends who pastored with him, they, they committed adultery. They left their spouse. They ruined their ministry because they, they couldn't stay faithful. And this man said, I'm going to give my, all of my life to Jesus. And five years ago, Billy Graham died. And he was in a hospice in his home. They, the doctors could no longer help him. And his children were in the room. And his grandchildren were in the room. And they all said goodbye one last time. And when his 11-year-old granddaughter was walking out the room, she turned around and said, Papa, Papa, I love you. And Billy Graham said these words. I love you. I love you. When you're on your, the last day of your life, you're not going to surround it with your toys and your, the things that you earn, the trophies. It's going to be with the people that you love the most. And life is not about possessions. It's about people. And the question is, are you grateful? Have you expressed love and appreciation for those that you loved? I said at the beginning of the sermon that a lot of this collection of talks was birthed out of my dad. You have to understand, my dad, his father died when he was six months old. His mom died when he was four. He did not know how to show love. And so I heard, I love you once my entire life. But this is what my dad said to me four times on his deathbed. I love you. He went into death hungry, but he left full. In 2015, my wife and I, we went to New York. Uh, she tricked me. I didn't know this when I got married, but there's this thing called a baby moon, okay? You wives are so sneaky. I don't know how you do it. But when you get married, you go vacation together. It's called a honeymoon. And when you get, have a baby and you work hard, um, you have this thing called a baby moon. So we went to New York. I'm, just, I'm sorry. I'm just, if you're angry with me, honey, it's time for you to preach and make fun of me. But we went to the, the World Trade Center where that location was, where the memorial was. And, man, we couldn't be there for more than 30 to 45 minutes. It was so emotionally heavy. I didn't even know any of the people that died. There were no relatives, no friends. And it's different than a cemetery. You can sense the sadness there. You see this wall with all the names. And I remember after leaving researching that there was actually a 9-11 a, a memorial museum where they had the artifacts and pictures and what had happened that day. And most people don't know this, but there were hundreds of voicemail messages from people inside the building calling loved ones, but they couldn't reach them. I want to read you two of them this morning. This one is Melissa Harrington Hughes. She was a worker in San Francisco. She was in New York for one day and was supposed to fly back that night. And she was in the World Trade Center. And when the airplane had hit, she was above where the plane had hit, so she could not come down. 
She called her husband, but it's East Coast time. So 9 a.m. on the East Coast is 6 a.m. Her husband was asleep. This is the voicemail she left. I just wanted to let you know, I love you. And I'm stuck in this building in New York. There's lots of smoke. And I just want you to know that I love you always. This next one is by a woman named Cece Lyons. She was a flight attendant on United 93. And she was in the same time zone as her husband, but her husband was a cop and he worked the night shift. So when she called, it went to voicemail. says, hi, baby. Baby, you, you have to listen to me carefully. I'm on a plane that's been hijacked. I'm on the plane. I'm calling you from the plane. I want to tell you that I, I love you. Please tell my children I love them very much. And I'm sorry, baby. I don't know what to say. There's three guys. They've hijacked the plane. We've turned around, and I hear that there's planes that have flown into the World Trade Center. I hope to see your face again, baby. I love you. Bye. We don't have time for bitterness. We don't have time for unforgiveness. An RSU, a Tesla, a five-day vacation in the Caribbean will not satisfy your soul. If you want to die full, show gratitude to the people that you love. Some of you got to call your parents today. Say, I know you're annoying. You come into my room and search everything. But I'm grateful for you. I know, Mom, you wouldn't let me wear that outfit in high school, and we didn't talk for like three weeks, but I wouldn't be here without you. And this is actually the, the, the greatest point of tension in my marriage, my wife leaving without kissing me goodbye. And my wife, she leaves at the last minute for everything. I'm not supposed to say never or always. She's always late, okay? I love you, honey, but you're always late. And she's like putting on her shoe, like running out the door. I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh, you better kiss me right now. Because I, I may never see you again. Kiss your parents. Kiss your children. If you want to die full, show gratitude. Last one. Is this helping you? Live and leave. Purposeful. Someone say purposeful. Genesis 25. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. If I get the worship team to come up. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. You got to realize Abraham had two sets of kids. Isaac, the son of promise, and his other kids. And he blessed both of them. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. He gave his other sons wealth. But he gave his son everything. And his sons represent the world. And Isaac represents, listen, represents the, he's the child of promise. He's the, he represents salvation. He represents eternity. I wrote down this. Make a difference in the world, but give everything to eternity. Here's the question I need you to contemplate. Will you be content with what you've left behind? Will you be content with what you left? Because when we die, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus... We won't get judged for our sins. Because when I stand before God one day, he's like, why should I let you in? Jesus. Why should I forgive you? Jesus. Why should I accept you? Jesus. That's my answer for everything. Because he died on a cross for my mistakes, for my sins. I'm not going in on my merit, but on his. So people say, why are you going to heaven? Jesus. But there is a, a judgment on stewardship. 
What'd you do with the life I gave you? What'd you do with the time and the opportunities? And often we, we, we so hold on to eternity or temporary, we forget eternity. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 3. For no one can lay any foundation other than one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. He's the foundation. He's the firm foundation for everything. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, and straw, their work, their work will be shown for what it is. Let me modernize that verse. If anyone builds on the foundation of Jesus using crypto, stock, RSUs, 401ks, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, though, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. If it's not built on Jesus, it goes up in flames. And my question is, what are you building right now? Is what you're building eternal? I love my mother-in-law. Thankfully, she's not here. Sometimes she is. So I can go all in on what I want to say. She spoils my kids, and I'm going to get her when she's retired one day, okay? <laughs> Just putting it out there. She, almost every year, will not just spoil my kids during Christmas, like over-spoil them. There's like literally, there were 30 presents just for my two kids this last year. And you ever see like a four-year-old open up presents? They will rip it open, throw it over their shoulder like a grenade, and go to the next one. (laughs) They didn't even know what they had. This is awesome! (laughs) Throw it against the wall. We literally, I'm not even, we hid half their toys. Because they didn't even know, they didn't even know they were gone. And we put them in the garage in the linen closet because four-year-olds aren't supposed to go there. And they found it this last year. Dad, what are those? (laughs) Whose are are those for? And then it became a negotiation. If you want this, you have to give me one of your existing presents. Oh, so easy. Runs to her room. Half an hour, literally half an hour later, she comes back. I'm not ready to give up any of my toys. What a picture of Christians in America. That you're so holding on to the temporary, you don't want the good gifts God has for you. That you think the Tesla is going to satisfy you. You think the home is going to satisfy you. That you're unwilling to let go to get the greater gift. She would not let go of used, broken toys to get a brand new one. The devil has this saying, he says, the devil has no happy old men. Because you spend your whole life seeking, pursuing, accumulating things, realizing at the end of your life when it's too late, they never satisfy. If nothing in this world will satisfy you, maybe you were built for another world. So here's the challenge. Spend your life raising kids to love Jesus because that will last. Spend your life helping people because that will last. Spend your life on this earth getting to know God more in every page of the Bible because that will last. Spend your money helping build churches, launch and send missionaries, and feed homeless people because that will last. Spend your life worshiping Jesus because that will last. Help your life building the local church 
because that will last. Spend your life at your workplace sharing the gospel with your coworkers because that will last. Because none of those other things will last. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes. The call is to die full. And there are a lot of you that maybe you don't see every day of your life as meaningful. And maybe you, you remember the painful days as wasted days. God wants to redeem all of it. He wants to make every day of your life meaningful. You got to give it to him. He's the one that can turn it around. If you're here this morning and you live with regret, you live with pain, I wish this didn't happen. I wish that didn't happen. If you give it to God, he will make your, plain, your pain your platform. He'll take that moment and he'll use it to make it your ministry for others. What you thought was the worst day of your life in the hands of Jesus, point of your life. I ask you to invite him in. Give it to him. Others of you, sometimes life has already been good, but you're not grateful. And you need to share with those that you love how much you care. Because until they hear it, they won't know it. And you don't want to go to heaven without saying it again. Now, others of you, you, you're too attached. Too attached. God wants to give you better gifts than what you could earn and make on your own. Now, others of you in this room, maybe before dying full, you have to embrace the one who died for you. His name is Jesus. And he left heaven 2,000 years ago. God became a man. And he lived a sinless and perfect life. And he died full even though he only lived 33 years of age. And he came not to give us a book.